Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 405. Probably four times in my career where I have a kid in my kitchen and I go, that kid can cook just like somebody did for me. Those people never give up on them. Stay with them. Mentor them. Make sure that they are pushing themselves and that food to be as good as it can be Uh, for them. I always used to say your name is on that, not Hamilton's, not, you know, not dumbwaiter, not, not, you know, your name is on that, you know, and if you can instill that, even in a restaurant situation, that's not, uh, that's not a magazine restaurant, then, you know, that's something to learn. Are you ready for it factors, success stories? failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Increase return visits by 200% with five stars. Five stars helps you build a database of your customers spend and visit behaviors. Five stars also helps you stay continually connected by automatically sending personalized offers and rewards. To learn more, head over to get.fivestars.com slash unstoppable or use promotional code unstoppable. And when you set up a demo, five stars will send you a $25 gift card to some of their favorite retailers like Target, Starbucks, Home Depot, and more. What are you waiting for? Get on it. With <laughs> with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Gail Hobbs Page. Gail, my girl, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling unstoppable, Eric. <laughs> yes, that is what we like to hear. So Gail Hobbs Page spent 26 years as a professional cook, working in restaurants including Magnolia Grill and the Farrington House, both in North Carolina and Hamilton's at First in Maine in Charlottesville. Eventually, she burned out. Today, Gail's well, I should say, and we clarified this during the pre-interview chat, she burned out as in restaurants. She wanted me to specify, which I, I respect. Uh, today, Thanks. Gail is the owner and farmer and cheesemaker at Caramont Farm, located just outside of Charlottesville, North Carolina. You have a great story. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, we've had a lot of past guests, uh, RJ Joyce, uh, Brooks Tanner, who you might know. Oh, yeah, I know, you know Yep, and uh, Libby, uh, Renee Libby, uh, or sorry, Janae Libby. Uh, recommend that I, I get more farmers on the show just because there's such a close, intimate relationship between farmers and restaurants. And there's we should be exploring those relationships and learning more about that side of the industry, the, the farming side of the industry. So uh, you're the first. So you're the the first farmer I've had on the show. Oh, the I'm excited farmer. about this. I'm a little nervous. Uh, I, ne- I have never interviewed a farmer before. I hope I do well. Uh, but before we dive into you and your story, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Well, um, 
One of the things I tell myself um, when I get a little fearful uh, and when I start tackling a new cheese or a new product, um, happiness begins at the end of your comfort zone. Happiness <laughs> begins at the end of your comfort zone. I love that. Dive into what that means to you. Well, you know, anything you do uh, it, it presents challenges. And when you get complacent and when you get comfortable in that way of life, that means that you're not challenging yourself. Yes. And I need to challenge myself to be happy. Mm. Um, other people may pick a different path, but that's what makes me tick is the challenge of whatever is next, whether mm -hmm. it be professional, whether it be here at the farm, whether it be with my personal relationships, whether it be in my community, um, whether it be political, because farming is very political. But, you know, you really that's that's what makes me me is um, and it makes me be able to be uh, to do what I do is just to, to, to keep saying to yourself when you get comfortable, it's time to think about what's next. Awesome. That reminds me of two quotes. First, one that just been I don't know if it's a quote, but it's been in my head. I don't know where I heard it, but it's uh, freedom or discipline is freedom. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, we, we work so hard and we resist work sometimes and we just think about, oh, I don't want to do any work. I just want to relax. But it's when we, when we do the work and we, and we keep showing up and we have that discipline to keep showing up and to, to, you know, mm -hmm. compound and build on what we've already created, that freedom really starts to happen, right? Where we can, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're, you know, you know. If, if you're a creative person uh, and chefs are frequently creative because, you know, we have, you know, we're constantly thinking about the next meal in our head or the next you know, product we're going to find, you know, but I think the, the, the biggest um, hooligan of, of mediocrity is, um, is, is um, of consistency. I mean, not consistency, but complacency. Mm -hmm. um, just going through the motions. Not living intentionally. You said, you know, you, you, that's when your food and your farming and your cheese and your life gets, um, you know, just, um, just kind of boring yeah. and not, I'm a creative person. What we do here is, is, I mean, that's one thing you'll find about farmers is that, you know, it, it, it's not like, you know, go to bed early and get up early. It's a very creative process. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just um, it, you really just have to um, um, embrace that. Yeah. And, um, and the other quote. Absolutely. And the other quote I was thinking about was Seth Godin. And this is more of a paraphrase, but he basically says, embrace stupid. Uh, embrace that <laughs> feeling of stupid because it's when you're stupid that you're growing because you're not stupid forever, but you have mm -hmm. to get into that area of discomfort of, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And that's exactly where you live for at least probably a year, diving into becoming a cheesemaker, uh, just like learning as you go. The, the, all it the was the most naive thing that I could have <laughs> But look uh, where I you mean, are today. And you know, you weren't yeah. stupid for long, and now you're you're getting all these accolades, and people are are just singing and praising what you what you're doing down there. So, well, thank you. I, it, it, there's another quote that I love too. It's by the poet E. E. Cummings. This is a quote and off. It, I love it. It, it, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it says, um, "It is never too late to have the courage to be who you." really are yes yes okay this is how i like to start off interviews <laughs> beautiful uh i feel i feel motivated i feel ready to rock and roll so let's right. dive into okay. your story let's dive into your story uh when did you know that you're going to commit your life to food 
I knew that when I was about eight years old. Okay. Uh, Take us back to that moment. A, yeah, I was. I grew up in a, on a on a farm in North Carolina where um, it was not a child centered home. Uh, there was no soccer. There was no. There were no ballet lessons. Um, everything revolved around food. Our grandmothers lived with us. Uh, we had a huge garden. We were taught to can, and we were expected to learn to cook at a very early age. My father and my brother hunted. We had to process. I mean, there was nothing wasted. My parents were post-World War II Depression babies that, you know, they – sorry. Uh, don't they worry about lived, that. It happens. Um, it's life. They lived that life, and <laughs> yep. um, they um, they expected us to learn it, and mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved it. So, you know, when I was eight years old, I kid you not, I was frying chicken, awesome. cutting up chickens. I mean, it's just, uh, it was just a way of life. And I tried to go to college. I went to college. I tried to teach school and all I ever wanted to do was get back to that, to that. Mm. And, um, it be- and so I knew, I knew, and I took to it and mm. I knew a lot of things that, uh, a lot of classically trained culinary kids from CIA or wherever the fancy schools were. I already knew that stuff. I just didn't know what the name of it was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I knew immediately when okay. I got to my first restaurant job that that was going to be it. Talk to me about that experience, your first restaurant job, and when you knew the feeling. Of, can you bring it back to a, a moment where you knew? Can you reflect back, or is it is it just like a more broad than that? I... Um, had been living in New York City. Um, I was an English major, graduated, went up there, worked for, had a little a few gypsy years where I just basically worked for, you know, doing, um, you know, I worked for a theater producer, blah, blah, blah. I got a job at Farrington House. Um, I was broke, had to come back home to the South because, you know, New York City, city is very oh. expensive, especially for a girl who likes to eat out. And um, <laughs> so... Um, I came back and worked at Farrington House and they put me in the pantry because, you know, that's, you know, where the girls go and um, don't get me going on that. Uh, And I made a souffle and the damn thing was probably this high. (laughs) high. (laughs) I'm looking at about four or five inches right now. Yeah. Okay. And I had made uh, spoon bread. I had made, I had made soufflés, you know, I just didn't know they were called soufflés. I mean, I I used the souffle method, but anyway, I pulled it out of the oven and everybody went, damn, (laughs) (laughs) can you do that again? And I was like, sure, I can do that again. And that was a moment where people started going, Hey, Hey, Maybe you should get her on the hotline. See, or you know. I think that's where passion is found. When you do something and you're immediately recognized for it, uh, for what you can do and the, the, the ability to make other to impress and to make other people happy uh, with I, what you can do. Well, yeah. I mean, and I, I remember the waiter. His name was Randall. He he basically called Ben Barker, Ben and Karen Barker, and who I'm still in touch with today and said, you're going to steal this girl. Mm. You're going to you're going to steal her. She can make souffles that like <laughs> make it to the dining room, yeah. you know, and that's what he did. He called me and recruited me mm. from that dish. Mm-hmm. Hard to believe, but he did. I was shaking in my boots. I had never really experienced anything like that he was like the wizard of oz i was scared to death of it no i gotta take a moment real quick just to reflect on what you're sharing with us because i feel like it's so important um when you see somebody do something really well let them know 
because in that moment you can you can really change you can make it could be a, cha- a pivotal moment for that person in their career that they get that recognition of being able to do something well we just had nick arnerich on the show who worked for thomas keller uh mm-hmm. and he talked about uh i think it was nick arnerich i'm pretty sure but he got recognition or maybe shoot i talked to too many people it was actually no, i'm sorry it was jeff deloff i interviewed two people yesterday and this was jeff deloff and he said that uh for him, the moment where he knew this was going to be his career and we're like really commit to it, his passion, it was, he got recognition from one of his colleagues that mm-hmm. recognized his talents. And, and for him, that was like, that was the moment where he knew that he was in the mm-hmm. right, the right lane just because of that. Recognition. For me as well, so I felt like I had won, you know, just an Academy Award or something, mm-hmm. you know, for, for these people of this. At that time, we were in Chapel Hill, you know, with the likes of Bill Neal and, um, you know, Bill Smith. And there was, you know, it was a very exciting time to be recognized by those guys. I mean, we were, you know, we were tearing it up. And I wanted to be, you know, I found myself wanting to be in that group. And to, to do that, we really had to be extraordinarily dedicated and passionate about what we were doing. You know, I always, it was never about the money. It was about, you know, showing, you know, what we what we could do to make the most delicious thing that we could for that shift mm. for that night. It wasn't about six months from now. It wasn't about magazines. It was about us, mm-hmm. you know, making the best food we could make um, during that shift. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. I love it. Yeah. So what was the next step for you? Well, I uh, yeah, I stayed in Chapel Hill at, at Magnolia Grill and, and until, you know, I was, uh, you know, at, I had a good heart to heart with Ben and he said, build your resume girl. You know, this is, you know, you can't stay here, you know, or you, you got to create a trajectory for yourself. And then to my, to this very day, he's a, a, a mentor. He and Karen are mentors. I think I, I asked him something the day before yesterday and he, you know, it's okay. He instilled in me that it was resume time mm-hmm. and to start building my level of experience, if I wasn't going to go the culinary school route, which I had decided at this point I didn't want to do. And so I um, I moved to Tidewater. I, I'm from, my family farm is just over the border. And um, I cooked for a fellow named Sid Mears, who's a James Beard. You should talk to him. Woo, a great Southerner. Uh, um and I know that's a question later. Uh, we rocked it there for a while, and I was planning to go to the Pacific Northwest because, you know, about that comfort zone. Uh, and I had really heard about this, you know, field to fort kind of stuff. I was starting to get bored with, you know, you know, uh, you know, old cuisine, bags. I guess, <laughs> like curly things on yeah. top of, you know, whatever. You yeah. know, I wanted to know more about where where it was all coming from yeah. because it's um, as we know now, that's really where your flavor comes from. Mm-hmm. And so, but then I met a man. <laughs> <laughs> I was, had no idea. I had no intention of getting married. I, you know, whatever, you know, but, uh, I met this wonderful man <laughs> and it kept me on the East coast. <laughs> so you find yourself, um, you're staying at the East coast. You, you ended up not going out West. Um, you're at this point, are you working in, sh- you're still in North Carolina? I'm still in Virginia. I'm still in North Carolina. Okay. I was working for Sid Mears. I worked briefly for Todd Jurek, um, who was uh, it, when I met my husband Daniel. He 
the first thing I said to him was literally maybe the second thing maybe is I really don't want to stay in Tidewater. It's mm-hmm. just not my scene. And he said, great, I don't either. Uh, and we started looking for land to buy um, almost immediately. Uh, and we found this farm up near Charlottesville. And uh, Charlottesville kind of felt um, I'd never lived in the mountains before. I'm a flatlander. You know, I'm from the near the coast, and uh, I really love the. Uh, it kind of felt like an old Chapel Hill. Mm. Oh, it's politically aware, culturally diverse, and I like university towns. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I could live here, and that's what got us to the mountains. Awesome! And I love Charlottesville personally. I've been there twice in the past like four months, and it's a, it's a great community. I mean, I think I've interviewed now probably like six or seven people from that community. And it is. Awesome. I'm proud to be a part of the food community here. I really am. Beautiful. Um, and I've worked very hard within it to um, to to keep it um, to to make it to the the community that it is. Beautiful. So when did you start to burn out, and why do you think you were burning out? What happened? Well, I was cooking, you know, in another level of restaurant. You know, at Magnolia, there was a baker. At Magnolia, there was a chef de cuisine. There was sous chefs. There were prep chefs. There were, um, you know, there were cleanup crews. But, you know, and, and that was great because we were kind of what we call a magazine restaurant. You know, we had, you know, we, we had, we were busy every single night. But the reality of uh, running a small restaurant in a college town is not mean I was baking bread I was working because you're the chef de cuisine hey you get to work six shifts Mm. instead of five Mm -hmm. great you know you get to hire and fire you get to do the the scheduling you get to do you know you get to do everything and the reality of that is um is that you work more you know for um less Mm. and you know it it's you do lunch How about that one. You know, it was like, what do you mean you do lunch? <laughs> you do brunch, yeah. <laughs> you know, Magnolia at Farrington. It's not like that, you know, and I'm sure it's not like that at Thomas Keller's restaurants or, uh, um, you know, some of the, you know, Danielle Bellew's restaurants, but, you know, in the real world of, of food, um, you know, the, the chef de cuisine pulls a lot of hours or the executive chef is frequently, you know, sometimes washing dishes if the dishwasher doesn't show up. Yeah, let's so, let's dive deeper into this because I think you make a good point. Um, you said that in those restaurants that you just listed, these these world renowned restaurants, you sure that those types of things don't happen? Or do, did I hear you correctly? I, I, I do, I'm, I'm pretty sure. You know, call me Thomas Keller, but I pretty feel pretty sure that you don't wash dishes if the dishwasher doesn't show up. Yeah. So what what do you think it is about these restaurants that you listed? In uh, the majority of other restaurants, what do you think they're doing right? The culture or the systems, the processes, the organization. What can we learn from what you just shared with us? Well, I think that these restaurants tend um, to have a higher turnover. Um, I think that the food can sometimes flatten out. So, when talking about these restaurants, you're talking about the the majority, the not not the. Yeah, I'm talking about just mom and pop restaurants, gotcha. independently brick and mortar restaurants that that are trying to make payroll and trying to, you know, give their you know, employees health insurance. You know, they're that are open 
you know, they're trying to, you know, do really good food, but also trying to hit, you know, a, you know, a 22, 25% food cost because it's really hard Mm -hmm. when, you know, when you have to make money in a restaurant. (laughs) And yeah, I think one of the lessons to be learned is that, you know, it, it, it costs, the food's going to cost more, you know, it's, uh, you're going to have to value those key employees and pay them well, give them benefits and make it, you know, be kind and good and supportive in every way to your key employees. I mean, you know, whatever, you know, I've dealt with employees my whole professional career, even here. And, you know, it's the ones that the the key, you know, people come and go, students come and go, people come and go. But, you know, those key employees are really your, the the foundation of your, the the sustainability of your business. So when you say Um, key employees, who are you talking about? I'm talking, I'm talking about um, front of the house managers. I'm talking about bartenders. Uh, I'm talking about um, chef de cuisines. I'm talking about sous chefs, anybody, especially people that you feel there have been probably four times in my career where I have a kid in my kitchen and I go, that kid can cook Mm -hmm. just like somebody did for me. Mm -hmm. Those people never give up on them, stay with them, mentor them, make sure that they are pushing themselves and that food to be as good as it can be. Uh, for them, I always used to say, your name is on that, not Hamilton's, mm-hmm. not, you know, not Dumbwaiter, not, <laughs> not, you know, your name is on that, you mm-hmm. know. And if you can instill that, even in a restaurant situation that's not, uh, that's not a magazine restaurant, then, you know, that's something to learn. Also, treat people kindly. I think that women run their kitchens differently. I mean, we used to have a saying um, in a restaurant I will not name that you need to assume the turtle position, the tortoise position, because you come through and the chef is just going to scream and yell and tell you everything you did wrong and make this big hysterical. You know, those days are gone. Mm-hmm. Really, you you don't get anything out of people by yelling at them. Nope. Um, you don't. And it's this real macho kind of thing to do, I guess. I, and when I came away from some of these restaurant experiences, I never ran my kitchens like that. Uh, and I don't run my dairy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's that's something to be learned because this is a I, I, I think that women um, um, tend to look at professional cooking um, with um not only, um, you know, in, a, in, in an ambitious way, but also a nurturing way. It's not about your ego. It's about what your customers are, are experiencing um, through the food mm-hmm. and through the service and through the wine. Um, that stuff ends up on the plate. Unhappy cooks end up on the plate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man, I love this. Uh, so, Real quick, this might help me. Uh, what put a timestamp on this? What? Where were we? Where are we chronologically? Uh, what year is this? We're in the late. Eight, we're in the nineteen eighty nine to nineteen nineties. Okay, so you still have like another uh, like fifteen years in the industry from this point. That's correct. Okay, very important point. I got 
my 15 seconds of fame where the James Beard people found me at, um, this is very pivotal. The James Beard people started scoping Hamilton's out and it was like, Oh my God, you know, um, James Beard, James Beard, which, you know, don't email me about James Beard or whatever. James Beard's great. But, um, but, uh, I kind of we don't do did, this work for the the uh, it didn't work athletes. for GHP. Yeah. I don't do glossies, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm not going to go do all those, you know. If you're chasing awards, you'll never get them. You know, Let's put it that dog way. and pony shows about you know, <laughs> got so much trouble. But um, um, but Janae should have warned you. Uh, so <laughs> I had my plane ticket and everything to go to New York to meet with this woman. At the time, um, my niece was going to Hunter College. And I was going to stay with her. And she, um, I, I pissed this woman off. I can't remember her name. And so um, she basically said, um, we're done here. So I, I called my niece and I said, I, I still want to come to New York anyway. You know, we'll have fun. She got me a ticket to a food um, uh, seminar, symposium. It was called A Growing Concern. And guess who was there? People like Michael Pollan and Alice Waters, oh, wow. Alice, um, uh, shoot, uh, who's the guy who wrote Fast Food Nation? This was years ago. Uh, I went to, all, I met this man from the Soil Society. He started talking about um, um, things that I was rocked. I was like, this is. I got chill bumps. I was like, this is this. It was put on by slow food. Mm-hmm. They told the story of Carlos Petrini going, stopping the first McDonald's that was going to Rome. And I, I said, you know what? This is my path. This is it. I went back to Charlottesville. We started the first slow food chapter. I started, I went and announced to my, my executive, to the owner that I was no longer going to be using Cisco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Cisco. Uh, I started going to farms. I started finding these people. I started getting relationships. I, and this was new. Nobody, you know, um, um, nobody really was cooking like this in Charlottesville. Everyone thought I was crazy. And um, I I just said, this is, I met Joel Salatin from Polyface Farms. Uh, I started buying chickens whole. Uh, and started instead of in those little cups that they used to come in, these little weird breast, chicken breast things. Uh, I started making my own stocks from stewing hens. I started cooking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I started doing. Awesome. Awesome. And that was really my first um, decision to, to sort of go the way of the farmer um, because it started tasting like the food that I used to cook with my grandmothers. Mm. I know that sounds corny. No, no, no. That's what it's all about. It, that was that was sort of the the beginning of the end because, you know, all of these things kind of came together in this one creative, philosophical crossroad. And we were busier than ever before. We, we, we were crazy busy because people were tasting the plate. People mm-hmm. were, people were invested in the food and I put my money on it. And after many arguments with lots of people who were saying my food costs were too high. And I said, you know, we're just going to charge more and mm-hmm. people are going to have to 
um, um, embrace our food values. Yep. It, it was a new way of talking about food. Yep. Beautiful. Awesome. I don't have to add anything to that. Beautiful. Uh, so I do want to f- kind of fast forward to the point where uh, okay. you hit your breaking point because we still got to talk about the farm. Uh, I don't want to leave plenty of time for that. So when did you start to, to get to the point where you're burning out? What was going on? Uh, take us through that. Well, I'm a, I'm a stubborn crazy and a purist. And what was happening is there was a little bit of, of polyface and a lot of California lettuce. There was, um, you know, a little bit of, um, of Piedmontese tenderloin, but, um, and a little bit of Montfort and I couldn't handle it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And so I, I went, I, I was like, I got to get out of this. This is, if I can't do it whole hog, I don't want to do it. And, um, so I started a whole hog. You you don't want to do it. I I didn't, I didn't want to be at that restaurant. Then my time was up Okay. and I went to, to lick my wounds at a little, uh, um, um, bed and breakfast called the Mark Addy, where we had our first truly field to fort restaurant Mm -hmm. field to fort. Um, my husband and I were going to, um, uh, buy it. It was a lovely little spot. And, um, again, you know, we we had a, a dining room that seated probably fourteen people. We would do fifty or sixty covers a night. So you were uh, going to start. You were opening your own restaurant at this point. That's right. Okay. I said uh, you know, I, I was going to get away from this sort of a little bit of this and a little bit of that, which I call greenwashing. Um, which you know, I, 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 that's just not me. I can't stand it. If you're going to, you know, so we grew it and we cooked it and we served it. Mm-hmm. And we were busy as we could be, but um, financially that did not work out. And at that point, I said, "Okay, maybe I'm just going to do something else. I'm going to uh, I'm going to get back to um, where I came from. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take this farm, and I'm going to get a couple of goats, and so I'm going to start that farm." Was the where the the this Caramont Farm? Yeah. Okay, okay. So that restaurant was now bought twenty five acres here gotcha. outside of Charlottesville after okay. Tidewater. Um, and so um, Do my- I had heard. So here's the another strange crossroads. Uh, I basically again, you know, passion said, okay, I know I can make things. I know I can make food. I know I can. Yeah, I grew up on a farm. I know I can. I love goats because I had goats when I was a kid. Um, and there was our local rock star, Dave Matthews, and his lovely wife had just bought 1,600 acres of land in southern Albemarle County. I went there. I want to tap the brakes real quick. Sorry, Gail, because I, I feel like there's more to take away from uh, the experience of things not going the way you initially intended intended them to, and then we'll take a break to thank our sponsors uh, and dive into what you got going on now. But real quick, um, w- reflecting back at the burnout and when you had enough of the restaurant industry, uh, what things did you not anticipate? What What do you think it was that broke the camel's back as far as the the expenses and look like in hindsight, looking back at why it didn't work out? What, what could you break it down to? It's hard work, and I'm not like I'm not like judging. I just want to mm-hmm. pull out some you know like life lessons, experiences, because I know a lot of people who are looking to do exactly what you did, who are mm-hmm. uh, redoing old farmhouses, and they're going to do everything from that property, and it's a lot mm-hmm. of work. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be tough. So, what's your advice? Like, what what can you warn people about? What 
if you can just give any mentorship, any shine any light, what would it be? Well, I think you have to keep it simple. You have to be very focused on the daily. Um, you can't be all things to all people. You have to uh, pick a farmer and you have to go, uh, you have a relationship with that farmer through thick and thin. So some weeks, you know, some seasons, they're going to have great stuff. Some seasons, they're going to get hit with a tomato blight. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to be willing to think about every season, not just spring and summer. You've got to be able to, to, to maintain your focus and your commitment to these farmers, even in the fall and the winter. You can't go to the avocados and the mangoes in the winter because your farmer just has squash. You know, you you really got to put your creative cap on and you have to to think about each season um, before it gets here. Mm -hmm. A lot of planning, a lot of budgeting. You've got to be willing to make the the deci smart decisions and kind decisions for your whole staff so that you're not spinning your wheels on that, you know, January day where nobody's there, you know, um, you don't have any customers. You got to have cash flow. Mm -hmm. you, it takes a lot of money and a lot of um, planning and a lot of, and a, and a lot of um, business know-how. Um, I've seen um, a lot of people ignore that part of it. Um, and, and, you can't. Yep. I mean, so you, ha you have to. You have to. You started this answer with keep it simple. And then nothing that you said <laughs> so sounded simple. Keep your food simple. Okay. Keep your <laughs> so when you say keep your food simple, do you mean like do a few things really well? I mean. Um, like instead of trying to do a bunch of things really well, focus your energy in doing a few things like really well, like owning being known for a few things. I mean, that's what I that's how I interpreted that. Is that accurate or well you know people who've worked for me and who have trained know that i have a saying i say don't be a pretender uh which means if you're going to put something on the menu that um is um complex in flavor and methodology don't take a shortcut don't substitute an ingredient mm -hmm. um when i say i just got back from italy so uh that is the land of beautiful, simple food, and yet it isn't. It's simple in that they deal directly with flavor. Mm. They don't try to make it fancy. They don't try to make it, you know, anything other than what that flavor is of that ingredient. That's what I mean. I don't mean do the same thing every night. I mean just really think about the ingredient and think about how you are going to interpret that ingredient. If it's old or if it's tired, throw it away, mm -hmm. put it in a stock, you know, don't, don't, don't try to, you know, be, to, to, to make it into something that's mediocre. Got you. That's cool. what I mean. Keep cool. it simple. Beautiful. <laughs> and, um, talk to me about when you decided to be done, uh, with the restaurant industry. So when you, 
I guess, hit that breaking point. Take us through Well, that. we really wanted to stay at this restaurant. We really wanted to buy it. It was 13 acres of land. But the, the previous owner did not leave the books in mm-hmm. very good shape. And mm-hmm. so there was a very, very real financial reality as to what we could and we couldn't do. I mean, I'm not a trust fund baby. And, and uh, you know, it, it was a it was. It was, you know, it's hard. It was a very hard time. It yeah. was a very sad time for us because we really had a great thing going, and I and I, I felt like I was letting my whole little community down of people and travelers who would eat there, but we just couldn't afford it. Mm. You know, the land was thirteen, I think, thirteen million dollars oh. or something like that. It was, was that right? No, I think it was five million. I mean, Still. we couldn't do that, and the books were in just bad shape the, the 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 inn itself needed a lot of restoration um we couldn't do it so you, we had to face reality yeah if you could go back in time and do one thing differently that you think would have changed the outcome what would it have been oh i probably would have uh, I, I probably wouldn't have got so invested in ownership of that property that I could have just enjoyed being, um, you know, Doing what you love. learning what I could, I could have stayed more in the present mm. <clears throat> um, and, and just really enjoyed every season a little bit more. Mm. I, uh, um, I, I kind of let my ego and, and, you know, get in the way there where I wanted to be an owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I would have done that differently. I, I think I wasted a lot of cheese making time. Um, on that restaurant yeah. project. And on that note, I think uh, realistically what you would have done differently is nothing because you wouldn't be where you are today, which is what we're going to get into next. But first, we've got to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. To be unstoppable, most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Have you heard of the 80-20 rule? Well, if you haven't, it states that for many events, roughly 80% of effects come from 20% of the causes. How does this apply to the restaurant industry? Roughly 80% of your total revenue comes from 20% of your customers. That 20%, well, those are your loyal customers. Five Stars helps you get more loyal customers and helps you strengthen the bond between existing loyal customers. This method is so effective that Five Stars users have reported up to 200% increase in revenue. Set up a demo today and learn about their two newest features. 
Word of mouth, which allows your guests to share the rewards they earn at your restaurant with their friends and network matching, where basically if you get a hundred customers to sign up, five stars will send you 100 new customers that have never been to your restaurant. To learn more, head over to get.fivestars.com slash unstoppable or use promotional code unstoppable. And when you see a demo, five stars will send you a $25 gift card to some of their favorite retailers like Target, Starbucks, Home Depot and more get on it we're back and uh this is usually where i say uh, what's your it factor uh but i you know we'll, we'll start with what's your it factor and then we'll roll into your story from this point because i, I feel like you have I, I my gut's telling me you got some pretty rad it factors and i want to ex- i want to extract them before we move on so what is it factor. <laughs> can you think of your it factor or your a habit, a trait, a characteristic that you think contributes to your success today? Um, I, I, I do. Gosh, um, I don't want to sound um, curveball. <laughs> boastful. I'm, 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 I'm kind of like, oh, do the kids say what is your it factor? That must be something. No, it's not. It's just what Eric Catchatory says. Uh, okay, Eric <laughs> Um, uh, I have always done what I wanted. I have always, um, uh, the crazier, you know, it, you know, it, I, I fling myself at things and then I kind of pay the consequences later, mm-hmm. but I am a person that moves, um, this way instead of that way. I look yep. forward instead of backwards. Yep. Awesome. Um, and that if, if that's my it factor, that's it. Yeah. And it <laughs> reminds me of, uh, I love this saying a ready fire aim. And, you know, you just fire, uh, see where you hit, uh, mm-hmm. readjust, fire again, and you got to pull the trigger eventually. Uh, you're going to miss, but you'll see where you hit, and then you'll just re- readjust mm-hmm. and try again, uh, which is a perfect segue into all of a sudden now you're a farmer. So how did this happen? So take us through that process. You started to get into it, and then I stopped you. Uh, so let's take well, a after the after the, the field to fork um, uh, heartbreak restaurant where, you know, I'm realized that I really am the daughter of a peanut farmer that I, you know, that, that I had no money. I had all know how uh, can do, as we say. Um, I, I had to do some figuring out what I was going to do. And um, so I live in a very beautiful place. I live close to Charlottesville, you know, you know, lucky Charlottesville um, a long time ago. A very talented human named Dave Matthews. This is his home, um, and he bought a big piece of land um, near us, and he was going to, um, uh, the word had it, that he was going to embrace some of the um, Califace Farm ideals, which, you know, I'd met these people before through the, a growing concern and, you know, I, Eric Foster and Michael Pollan and, and Joel, I knew, and I thought, Oh God, finally somebody, you know, you kind of have to get over the fact that it's a rock star. What was very important to me is that that land was going to be um, converted to an organic farm, that there was going to be food for our community, that there was you know, embrace these food values that I'd been, trying to express through my work at Hamilton's and then my work at the at the field of work. And I thought it won't hurt to go up there and just say, how can I be a part of this? I am at a crossroads. I 
no, I can do, you know, I got the can do. So I kind of pitched myself there to the farm manager. And as luck would have it, one of the Matthews family, I didn't, I mean, I'm very unaware of celebrity. I mean, I knew who Dave Matthews was, but, you know, I, at that point, I I really wasn't a fan. Um, and um, one of the Matthews family members was sitting out in the waiting room and they were here. They heard me. Mm-hmm. And um, again, kismet and uh, uh, speaking from your heart, and I, and uh, and they hired me, and they said, you know, we just want you to be a part of this project. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to learn how to make cheese. And so I worked there um, developing a dairy project for um, I guess almost two years. And let me tell you, when you you call the you know you call the people and ask for some some consultation and you say you're working for Dave Matthews, they get right back to you. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, so because they think yeah they're gonna get a really good you know, contract <laughs> out of this. So we I did the planning work. They sent me to uh, visit Jerry's, they sent me to uh, to source uh, equipment and I worked with architects and I worked with uh, regulatory people and it was like it was so awesome. They were, you know, it was like a dream come true. I thought this can't really be happening. And, um, but it did. And, and to this very day, I mean, they're, they're super supportive of what I've done. And, um, I, you know, in the end, the consultants came in and after a few years and really analyzed all the things that were working and all the things that weren't working, uh, the vegetable CSA, nobody had even heard of community-supported agriculture. That We sold 100 chairs the first year. Um, we did pasture-raised chickens, still the best eggs ever. Uh, we did pasture-raised lamb. We started working with pasture, we did grass-fed beef. Um, and I was kind of that... I did everything I would go because I had cooking experience. I would go to the chefs and say, Hey, you really need to try these eggs, Mm. these eggs, you know, and again, you know, we aren't in New York city or San Francisco or Berkeley. And so this was all kind of a new thing. And um, so that was a tremendous opportunity for me. And I got to uh, sort of get my feet wet on how do I transition out of um, being in a restaurant situation, which let's face it can be, stressful and hot and body, yep. you know, and let's say, um, uh, to a more pastoral seasonal life where I could basically create my own, um, schedule or I create my own, um, goals. And that, that was a good transition. And then I had the support of the Matthews family. So eventually, um, they uh, sent you back to your farm with the goats. So what happened there? Well, after the consultants came, they just basically redlined the project. I I um, saw the consultants with the air quote, and I was curious what that was all about. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a fan. (laughs) Consultants never actually, I mean, they just come in and analyze the situation they're not emotional, you know, they're math. They're looking based. at the numbers, the analytics. They're, they're not, not passion based. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So basically they, they couldn't, they came back to the Matthews and said, Hey, this, we can't justify this part of the farm. Maybe it's taking up too much That's money. That's true. That's true. So they, they, uh, grace, you guys gracefully parted ways. They gave you, we did, we did. And, 
you know, they gave me 13 goats and a couple of mangers and some cheese making equipment. And at that point, they set you up to start on your own, which is great. I mean, you, you they did, you know, they did. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, I really, once I start something, I really wanted to finish it. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to see at that point, I loved farmers. I loved cheese makers. I loved goats. I loved getting up early in the morning instead of staying up late at night in restaurants. I loved, you know, just the seasonal part of it where if it rains, you know, if when it, and a little known fact, when it's pouring down rain, you do your chores, you know, or snowing, you get your animals straight, you get everything. It's not, it's very different from being in a restaurant where, you know, everyone's got to eat, mm -hmm. you know, everyone wants to party, you know, it, it, it's a, it was a great transition for me. And I think this is it. This is another, this is another uh, uncomfortable zone that I'm ready to get into. <laughs> awesome. So talk, talk us through that uncomfortable zone. Uh, how did you pull it off? A lot of luck, a lot of good people, uh, a lot of work, a very, very good husband, a wonderful, my, my poor husband, he's, I should say he is so analytical and so calm <laughs> and so gentle that he just is the perfect, you know, yin to my yang. You know, we, if I didn't have him, I'd probably, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I'd probably be working at Whole Foods or something, you know, but, um, um, we, I basically decided that I didn't want to stop this thing, that I, I had the momentum going. Uh, I really, I was sneaking my cheese, some of the cheeses I was making illegally into back doors of restaurants, and people were going, oh, very good, Gail, you know. I, <laughs> I, I think you should keep on, you know. And I never, I, I never felt like, I never felt that this project was, you know, uh, ill-fated because of that. I, you can't get invested in that. You, mm -hmm. you have to, you know, whatever the politics were or whatever the Matthews wanted to do, you know, they've got their decisions to make. And I had my decisions mm -hmm. to make. It's part of being a grown up. Yeah. Yeah. You can't sit around and, and say, oh, he's got all that money and I have no money. It was like, you can't do that. It, it, you know, so we decided to after um, Ashley decided that, you know, Ashley Davis' wife wanted to give me the goats, and she really wanted to see us flourish. I really do feel did did feel that, and we brought them over here, and we got the fencing done. We got a barn built. Um, I borrowed on some equity that was my um, my family's farm in North Carolina. So, talk about you know getting involved emotionally, um, doing everything wrong. You know, they say you're not supposed to charge anything, you know, but, but this was an emotional project, emotionally charged project right from the start because the daughter of a farmer borrowed money on her father's farm that he left her to start a farm of her own. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically so, you did. I mean, you used the farm, you leveraged the farm to start a farm of your we own. Just, we worked really yeah. hard. And we didn't start out with a million-dollar idea in our head. We started out with a very holistic approach. Um, Doing one thing yeah. really well, goat cheese. Right. right? Um, um, and it was at the time, this is circa 2004, right? 2005, 2004? 2000, yes, 2005 to six. Okay. That's when we were developing so, the project. We were building the dairy we were building the infrastructure to um, to for our for our 
product. Mm -hmm. um, and that meant, you know, a lot of people don't, don't understand that when you are a farmer, it's, you're, you're making, uh, there, there's the farm and then there's the cheese mm -hmm. and the production of the cheese and the aging of the cheese. Like the farm comes first, the animals come first, the, the raw product comes first. And it's not just like, uh, oh, you know, you have milk, you know, what do I do with it? You know, it's like the, the, the goats have to have or the cows or the sheep have to have fencing. You know, they have to have mangers. They have to have um, feed. They have to have you have to have places to store your feed. You know, there's, all there's of that infrastructure and, and, and sales know? and. You know, there's so many things too. Like uh, you have to have, yeah. There's so many things before you even get to the first, you know, piece of cheese. Yeah, and that's where we were within. And I knew all that because of my experience at the other farm. And so you started with the end in mind, and you said, "What do we need to have in place to get there?" And you started building out that infrastructure. That's These correct. The pieces we need. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I, th I think that you did just reading about your story is uh, surrounding yourself with young, passionate people who, mm -hmm. and according to you, really brought this thing to the next level. Um, mm -hmm. Talk to us about the, the importance of really surrounding yourself with amazing people. Well, those first few years after that, you know, my husband and I were pretty, we were approaching burnout. You know, we were, I was probably working 15, 16 hours a day, mm. just, you know, it, it's hard work. And I called my friend Joel Salatin, and uh, so he always um, does these, uh, he has a very successful internship program. Um, I called him and I said, you know, I want to do that. I, I think it's time. We've got room in our house. We can put up a person. Uh, we can feed them well. And he sent me, he said, just the person for you, Gail. And he sent me our first intern. His name was Nathan Virgine. Uh, he was from Minnesota. Uh, he was born to farm and to this very day is farming up in Minnesota. Uh, and he stayed with us a year and what enabled us to to get our wits about us and then we decided we would work through various uh, schools we worked through middlebury college up in vermont we, um, we actually we started an intern program mm -hmm. where young kids would come here and live with us That's awesome. and and learn what it was like to really farm and in the meantime we feed them really good food we take them into sort of like a exchange student kind of thing where we teach them, you know, just there's some real cultural nuances of living <laughs> in the country. You know, there's no Starbucks or, yeah. you know, there's no stealth, you know, and the art of conversation, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, so we did that and we were able to um, to have some really great experiences. I'm still in touch with these kids. Okay, one came to see me the day before yesterday. He was living in Chicago and and then again, you become a part of you know um, these values-based thing, and you, you know the, the field of fort thing was coming along nicely at that point. And there are a lot of kids who are still interested in stuff like this, and so that was pivotal, pivotal, pivotal in keeping us afloat and in, in keeping our our energy and our and our uh, efforts moving forward. Uh, and every year we tried to invest. Instead of, you know, invest in something um, reasonable and rational, rational that would make our, uh, um, our, 
our company more efficient. Yeah, and on even beyond that, you you helped a lot of these young people go off and do their own thing. They're in Ver, or I think I, I read they're in Martha's Vineyard, Vermont, and different parts all over like the country yeah. doing their own thing. So right down the road, I have prime in the engine, Gail. You're really like you know you're spreading <laughs> so that, that, that culture. I create. I mean, I have yeah. chefs that are just really doing well that cooked with me that I that I mentored. Uh, I really believe in that. I mean, people who mentored me instilled a, a big responsibility to mentor others. Yeah. And uh, I've got three serious, really good cheesemakers yeah. that came out of Caramont, uh, two right down the road and one in Atlanta, uh, down in Georgia. It's um, worth saying too, Gail, that like you're making it possible for small business owners to source locally when you teach the next generation of <laughs> farmers how to do what you know how to do and go off to different communities and provide that resource to the, mm-hmm. the, the retail shops and to the restaurants. And you, you make it possible to, to mm-hmm. go local uh, when you, when you mm-hmm. teach your skills. Well, I, we really have tried to do that. Yeah. We really have. Uh, and so, sometimes it's not hard to train your company. It's hard to train your competition. Yeah, but you that's, but it's, like it's that. you can't think of it that way because here's the thing. Our, our responsibility I believe anyway, our responsibility, everyone's responsibility on this earth is to replace yourself with the next generation to take everything you know to be true, but whatever niche it is, whatever you focused your life on, uh, replace yourself with the next generation, give them everything you know, so they can go do their own thing. That's what, that's what our job is, is to replace ourselves. So you should be constantly trying to replace yourself. Um, the, the smartest restaurateurs, in my opinion, understand that and they provide opportunity to the that next generation. And that's mm-hmm. how, that's why they grow these massive, uh, just not not massive in the sense of like franchises or corporations, but just restaurant groups where they're spread, where they're sharing the love. Um, well, you know, I thought a lot, I thought about that when I was in Italy because yeah. there we were in Genoa. It was a beautiful city, you know. You know, I, there was an Italy there, mm-hmm. a Mario Batali Italy. Well, you know, I kind of thought, oh, that's bougie. I don't want to go in there, you know. But <laughs> I went in there, and I saw all these people from this town having good jobs mm-hmm. and you know and italy has been through the ringer mm-hmm. you know economically and i thought well you know i get it you know if he wants to put one in genoa and rome and new york and you know he's creating opportunity for other passionate food people and i don't have any problem with that i can leave that it's not for me to judge yep. so um i agree exactly and um you know i'm really proud of that um, and you know, I, I hope that when they get older, that they will see the responsibility of that as well, because mm. that is how we keep making good food. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, so, where are you today? Today, um, I am. Um, a good question. Uh, we've been making cheeses since two thousand seven. Uh, every year we try to up the game a little bit. Um, we have expanded our herd. We have made our milking facilities, um, is it pretty efficient? I think where we used to do stuff by hand and bucket milking and people who don't know dairy, you know, there are two different types of harvesting the milk. Um, we, we've tried to make our little operation as, uh, efficient and we have to conform to the ever uh, evolving regulatory climate uh, towards food in the United States. 
um, which is very real to small farmers. It's expensive. Um, and it takes a lot of record keeping. We tried to do that. Uh, we tried to really focus on the cheeses that we do well and that are reflective of our place. And the, uh, again, we talk a lot about that word. I'm not even going to say it. Um, but uh, if, if you can take your ingredient that you make on your land and make it uh, reflective of all of those components, then you've created a cheese of place, mm. a food of place. Um, so we've really tried to do that. We have uh, a, a great team of uh, local people, and um, um, we've expanded our team. We've, we're starting our agritourism because you can't make it in small farming now unless you uh, open up your farm to the masses, um, which has sort of um, been an eye-opener for me. Uh, so that's where we are right now. We, we, we are not just a cheese make. We're not just making cheeses. We are a, a community farm. Mm. What do you think needs to happen for small farmers to be able to make it? Subsidies. We subsidize foods that make, here's the political, but we subsidize foods in this country that make people um, fat, that create corporations, uh, that benefit corporations. Um, I'm very involved in the day-to-day bills that, um, that, that, that affect me as a small farmer. It's getting harder and harder to explain why that food is so cheap. Um, and the reason it's so cheap is because it's not really it's not food. food commodity. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it's not really, it's not. And so, um, all of the same, I, 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 I recommend reading Fast Food Nation again. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, glory, uh, talk about phrases. Gloria Steinem has a phrase that I love that says, first, the truth will piss you off and then it'll set you free. <laughs> yeah. It, you know. And you chefs out there, you must know that food that you're using, that you get off the truck from the warehouse that comes on the 18-wheeler. You must know why that food is so cheap. Yep. You must know it. And, you know, it takes you know, it, it takes a small village of a small circle of people who are really committed to the ups and downs. And I want to sound corny. I know it sounds corny, but you must do it if you want these people to survive. They cannot live on one case of duck legs that you make confit out of, and then you get the next shipment from Cisco they don't want your net, their name on the menu. They want your money in their bank account. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, another two books that I think you, just to t- tag on to the fast food nation is uh, the, the town food saved. I think this is a great book, uh, <laughs> which I think Middlebury or some, some town in Vermont that they, they're, they're profiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Bomnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Uh, you read those Absolutely. three books and mm-hmm. your perspective changes and it, it, it all of a sudden becomes easier to spend a even twice as much mm-hmm. for your food because you know that it's going to support people who are passionate about what they do, their craft, their trade, and it's supporting your, your community. It's keeping money. In well, they've community. chosen to do it. Yeah. And they've chosen to, to work as hard as they can. And, and, you know, at the expense of, you know, whatever, 
you know, and, and it, it hurts. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had at the farmer's market because I'm kind of like the old lady on the block, you know, and these new kids are coming up and they'll say, so-and-so bought this for me one time and then he still has our name on the menu. Tell me what's local about that because mm. I know it's, should I go in there and confront him? And I say, because then they're scared of losing the account if they yeah. go in there and confront them. And I say, well, you don't have the account anyway, yeah. so you might as well go in there and, and just say in a lovely way, you know, take our name off. I work really hard. <laughs> Please don't greenwash me. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, um, and one thing they, you mentioned, what is, I was going to say go is ahead. these people should not have to have other jobs mm. to do the, to raise the food that, that these people buy. They should be able to, to, to make a living farming, mm -hmm. small farmers. But it's, it's as it is started. right now, oh. it's very hard to, you yeah. have to, have goat snuggle sessions, you know, we do that. <laughs> it's, it's candy for us. It's gravy. You know, you, you have to figure out uh, today's small farmers not only have to be, um, you know, they have to be entrepreneurs as well. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. That's what your chefs need to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, this has been a great conversation and I can't believe we're already in an hour and like five minutes of recording time. Um, is there anything that you were hoping we would discuss up to this point, which we haven't touched yet? I, I, yes. Um, just fresh on the heels of a trip to Italy, the importance of food culture, the importance uh, that, you know, you know, it's not a, a movement. It's not an elitist thing. It's, um, you know, my, as a food person who had never been to Italy before, who had the, I had the, the great pleasure of dining with Italian families on a farm. I mean, I was just so struck by how easy and comfortable and delicious it all was. Mm -hmm. And I, I kept thinking that that is what that that is where that is what it should be. Mm -hmm. That 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 it, enabling and enrichment and and, and and continuation of that culture is really where we are just newbies at, you know, um, and these, these kids who are farming, they feel that. And mm. these new kids, and, and I just, that was one impression that left me um, just feeling so good about where, um, where we are right now headwise with field of fork um, and where I want it to stay. Yeah. And I think you said it earlier, uh, which just sums it up so well. And food is not a commodity. Food is life, and we can't forget that. Uh, it, 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 it takes a life to, to create the food. We have to sacrifice a life, whether it be a, a plant or an animal. It, it, it's a living thing, and we need to treat it like it was once a living thing. And it, it, well, and I hope I'm not ranting. You no, know, you're I don't not. Wanna, no, you're, you know, you're absolutely not. I'm loving, I'm loving every second of this, and it's, it needs to be said. And, and it's, it's, this is the reason why I try to – every once in a while, I'll get a, a small franchise on the show, but I, I – 90% of my interviews are with small independent restaurant operators who are doing the, doing it the right way sustainably. Mm -hmm. And it's because I, I feel like it's my responsibility to make an example of these people to show that it's not just about the money. You can make great money, but it's, you, you got to focus on doing, you got to focus on the values. And if you focus on the values mm -hmm. and doing things right, mm -hmm. the money comes, I believe. Uh, not and, and I don't say that as way like, Oh, I do everything from scratch and you don't, you know, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard. just an limit in it. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a way to enjoy life that is, that is, um, just the best. Yeah. And, um, I think that, you know, 
that's one of the reasons that this project has been as successful as it has and why I'm even sitting here talking to a stranger on the radio <laughs> is because I, I just, or whatever it is, um, you know, there, we, you need to speak up and say, you know, and speak from your heart and say, you know, this is how it can be, man, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I'm really proud that we've been able to bring people into our farming community who feel that. Mm. People come here and say, I've had the best day ever. Mm. That's you awesome. Know, what, what, you know, what can you say to that? Come yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. Gail, I've loved this conversation. Uh, you've been a great guest and it's been such an honor to make an example of you, uh, just your, your story. And I'm so happy you found your lane and you're doing what you love now. And uh, it's a lot you. of hard Thank work. You. There's That's no, so there's no joke in that, but, uh, Man, this has been a great conversation. I wasn't sure where we were going to end up or how it was going to go, but I'm happy you have <laughs> well, that's for sure. I don't know where you even live, but if you're ever in our neck of the woods, please come in. I'm in New Hampshire, but I just uh, traded in my, my on the deck. What was that? I said, come drink some grappa on the deck. Absolutely. I'm, I'm making it <laughs> a point to stop on my way back down south. Um, beautiful. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody in this industry who's doing it right, who's successful and who you believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Sydney Mears. Sydney, Sydney Mears. Mears in little old Portsmouth, Virginia. Look out, Sydney Mears. I'm coming after you. I'm going to get you on the show. He has, a, he has a restaurant called Stove. Okay. Awesome. That man is an artist and um, uh, he's I just love him and everything he makes is just freaking off the chart delicious and he lives it. That's so great. Oh man. Can't wait. Sydney, I'm coming after you and let the folks at home know uh, how can we connect with you? Um, And um, I want to say maybe want to get your cheese, but you you do have some values about exporting cheese too far. That's not sustainable, right? I did catch that. Well, we, we, we don't ship a lot. We just started an internet cart, um, internet virtual farm store. Uh, we're seasonal. We're getting toward the end of our season. We start up again making cheeses um, um, in late December, early January, pushing it a little bit. Uh, but I always say you should find your own fresh chef maker up there because I guarantee you, you have one. Mm-hmm. And why should I? put something in a styrofoam box, you know, and ship it to you when you probably got somebody within 50 or 60 miles that, that, you know, so needs you. if you're within 50 or 60 miles from Charlottesville, hit up Gail. And if you're not, then find <laughs> this. This is a, your call to action to go search and find somebody who's doing what Gail's doing in your community. Yeah, there's your, there's your cue. <laughs> awesome. Uh, this is episode four zero five. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash four zero five. I'll link back to the books that were recommended today. Also, I'll link back to uh, Gail's website so you can go check what she's got going on at her website. And Gail, there is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <Grazie>. Cheers. <laughs> Awesome episode today. Thank you so much, Gail, for taking the time to join us. And man, where do we start? So many great takeaways from today's conversation. I think for me, the big takeaway, uh, which is I kind of highlight this often, and that's the idea of just uh, really paying attention to who's working for you, having those transformative relationships where you literally transform the lives of these people who are skilled and are you know, who could potentially become passionate. And I I think people find that passion by you recognizing their skill and reinforcing those good behaviors, those good behaviors and those talents. Uh, And I think that's really where, where 
passion forms uh, as acknowledgement for what we're good at. So take that time to acknowledge your people, to mentor them, to develop them. And these key employees is what she was calling them. Uh, Recognize, identify your key employees. It's so important. They're going to be the people who grab on and, you know, hold on to your values and understand what your mission is and your values are. And they're going to help you reproduce yourself and other people, the the new people, the, the less, uh, I don't know, the, the, I guess those who are, the turnover employees, the, the students, right? So really pay attention to those key employees, invest in them, mentor them, teach them, uh, provide them the value so you can have help uh, imprinting on these employees that are more, I guess, turnover employees. And uh, lastly, just the idea of really uh, taking care of your community in the best way you can do that, I feel like is well first through mentoring, through teaching, but also through supporting other businesses, other farmers, and not just putting a name on the menu by after using this product once in one, you know, in, in one recipe, but really uh, standing by your farmers. It, it's harder. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I, I just feel like it's, I don't know. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to uh, keeping our money in our communities. And that's how I feel. Uh, I realize it's hard. I realize I don't, I, I don't do this every day. I don't own a restaurant and I'm preaching right now. And I, I feel that way, but uh I mean, don't listen to me. Just listen to the people that are coming on the show saying the same exact thing. So, Gail, thank you so much uh, again for taking the time to join us to make us all a little bit better. And like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what you're struggling with. I'll get an expert on the show uh, to answer your questions, to go over topics that are uh, challenging you. And you can connect with me on Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable, Instagram, Twitter, at Eric Cacciatore. Uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much with validating uh, just the, the significance of this podcast. And I do accept donations. Every little bit helps if you head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash support. But the best way to show your support and to compliment what I'm doing uh, in my hard work is just by sharing this resource. If you know of anybody aspiring to be great, in this industry, help them surround themselves with those who are great. And you can do that just by listening to this podcast. So do share this resource with them. Uh, It is invaluable. And I guess that's all for today, guys. Thank you so much for sticking around this long until next time. Peace out.